Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Dude, it, I almost wanted to sing the uh, Welcome Back Carter song. <laughs> welcome back. Oh, dude, you're singing, man. That's yeah, you I never. Know. Well, then you just said Welcome Back. That's all. We almost yeah. got some singing out of you. Um, almost did. Usually it's, it's me that that's, that carries a tune sometimes, but it, you true. guys can't see this because we don't really do we don't do video. Maybe maybe uh, here in the near future, maybe we will. I'm gonna have a whole new setup uh, that might uh, make me feel better about doing it. But uh, um, right. it's like like my shelves are all empty. I'm getting in. I'm in the process of moving, and it looks really sad in here. Other than that, uh, almost famous poster. Oh uh, yeah, that that's that's the key. Yeah, that's the key. It, it, it ties the whole room together. Yeah, as they that's say. a other movie. <laughs> <laughs> but um, interesting because my my shelves are overflowing because we're recording this in the towards the very very end of November. It's November 29th, and it seems like every single like movie seller outlet website, whatever, is having all of their sales all at once. Jesus. And I think it's appropriate to mention that because this is a movie podcast. Yeah. And we've talked about movie collecting a lot about this show, but I'm just saying, I don't know it's if it's because stores have been, you know, open and closed, open and closed, you know, this year, but it seems like they all hit just at once. Yeah. You know, um, just for people out there who are collectors and are listening to this in the future, keep your eyeballs on these sales you know, late November, uh, you know, Criterion sale at Barnes and Noble. There's a Warner Archive sale going on right now. There's a Vinegar Syndrome sale. I think there was an Arrow sale at one point. Well, some some of them are about to en- about to end. But they're all about to end. I'm just saying, yeah. if you're if you're listening to this at some point in the future and it's not quite November yet of whatever yeah. specific year you're yeah. listening to it, yeah. keep an eye out for those sales. Yeah, at this time. Warner Archive. the regular. Yeah. Yeah. And then then there's the regular Black Friday sales at like. You know, for for, you know, for newer releases and, and stuff, places yeah. like that. Which I'll be honest, this year, Stephen, was kind of, I don't know if it was because probably because of the pandemic, but they were very uh, minimal. I found. Yeah, well, not as many new releases, of course, um, but also um, it just yeah. I mean, anything in stores now is getting less and less. I mean, you've talked about how you're your uh best buys and stuff around you are just basically going down to very bare minimums yeah um, the very bare bones and mine around me are finally <clears throat> catching up to yours because i re- right. recently went to mine and it only has like a shelf like a like yeah, a one long my, shelf and that's it now and it's, it started with my walmarts and th- when they started getting rid of their um their giant like you know bargain bins and then they in their movie section started to shrink and then Target started to go and do it. Then Best Buy started to do it. Yeah. And then it's just it's spreading. The disease is spreading. Yeah. Well, it looks like our movie buying future is going to be online. It's just this. And this was kind of a good test year run for that because I did a predominantly a lot of my buying online. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's just hope that people continue to buy and that it won't go <laughs> away. Um, it seems like certain certain um studios are, are deciding to cash in on some physical media like paramounts you know continue to do like their new paramount brand yeah yeah i don't think i have said this on here but over the last two months or so paramount pictures woke up out of a years-long coma of just not giving a crap about their catalog titles 
And then all of a sudden they're like, they just announced like, okay, we're gonna we're doing a Paramount Presents line. We're gonna be releasing this and this and this and everything. It's gonna be numbered, and they're gonna have like new transfers. It's gonna be the definitive versions of these movies. And I'm like, it is 2020. <laughs> uh, where have you guys been yeah, this whole I know, time? Right? <laughs> we finally got but, Roman Holiday. Finally got Roman Holiday. I mean, they put out a bunch of movies, and there's some like head scratchers. Um, and it's like, okay, I, I didn't know we needed, you know, this type of movie getting a Pr- Primarily, it's line. been popular releases, like Ghost got one. Um, well, like, they just announced, like, Elizabethtown. The, the, yeah, uh, yeah. The Cameron Crowe movie that hadn't hadn't had a Blu-ray release at all up to this point, at least not here in well, the States. I mean, I guess if you like that movie, then that's cool. Um, but it's like, they're also releasing, like, Ghost and... and uh, Top Gun. You know, Airpl- Airplane's getting a new... Re- got a new release... Flashdance got a release, Fail Attraction got a release, Pretty in Pink. Um, and then they would do like The Golden Child with Eddie Murphy. And it's yeah. like, okay. Well, you, well, you know what? I didn't think about this, but now we know why we didn't get Pretty in Pink on Criterion. Yeah. I guess because that true. was talked about for a while, and then and then it disappeared, and now we know why. <laughs> well, we got the, yeah, we got the other um, Hughes movie in we got Breakfast, Breakfast Club. Club. Yeah. Got a Criterion release. Um, which was which I thought was interesting, but yeah, so it just you know Paramount kind of woke up out of their coma. But anywho, back to um, back to what we're supposed to be talking about. Back to what we're supposed to be talking about today. But I guess we're kind of going into we're actually going to be talking about a, a coincidentally a studio that kind of no longer exists, and that is 20th Century Fox, which is now 20th Century Studios yeah. because of the whole Fox Disney merger. And I bring that up it's because I'm holding in my hand the Blu-ray release of the movie that we're going to be talking about today, we're still in noir November and we're still in film noir mode, at least I am. I'm trying to squeeze in as many film noirs towards the end of this this month as possible. And today we're going to be talking about Laura, which is a film by Otto Preminger, came out in 1944 and starring uh, Gene Tierney, Dana Andrews, Clifton Webb, and a young Vincent Price is also you know, in the movie as if, well. If you look at a picture of Otto, um, yeah, you know, because we're on a first name basis, me and Otto. Um, nice. Uh, he looks like a bald version of uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Like if, like they, like it could be like his. Alfred ba- Hitchcock was kind of bald, but yeah, I but like a balder version, like like like, I, like, yeah, like he's like Mister Clean bald, you know. And what is interesting about Otto Preminger is that he also did some acting as well as directing. Like, I specifically remember him in Stalag 17. He played, like, some, like, SS officer of the prison camp. Um, his name was Oberst von Scherbach. And I remember him being in that. I'm like, ah, oh, it's Otto Preminger. That's very interesting. Well, he is, uh, what, from Australia? Austria? Well, well, I think he's from... He's from Austria. Yeah, he's from Austria-Hungary. Yeah, yeah. yeah Austria-Hungary. Um and that's kind of he's, I. I'm just thinking of some. I'm thinking of the beginning of Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> where the woman that um, Jim Carrey's Austria. talking to is from Austria, <laughs> and he he thinks that she's from Australia. Yeah, yeah. Today, <laughs> uh, <Good> mate, <laughs> crazy. let's put another yeah. strip on the barbie. Yeah, yeah, let's not. What an opening to a movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just thinking of that. But anyway, back to Laura. So this is actually, as I said in the previous episode, towards the end of it, is my favorite film noir of the classic film noir era and probably my favorite film noir of all time um and the reason being is it's because it's so different yet it has exhibits a lot of the classic film noir um 
you know, characteristics. Yeah, it's it's got a good, you know, I would say like the first half of this movie is very much a film noir, but then yeah. halfway through it kind of switches. It twists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I love it. and I And I find that to be so bold because it's like, you know, first half is like a murder mystery, which is classic detective work, film noir, trying to figure stuff out. And then, then the second half is just completely different. And it's really, really fascinating. That's what I really appreciate about it. Also, I think... The acting in it is fantastic. I think yeah. the character work is great. The cinematography, which it won an Oscar for, is amazing. The black and white cinematography. Um, and this was my introduction to Gene Tierney, Ooh. Dana Andrews. See, Dan, um, both of them are great. And, well, first of all, Gina Tierney's a stunner. She's, I mean, I... She, yeah, I, re- I recently rewatched uh, Leave Her to Heaven, which came out... Um, right after this and it's got that technicolor and she's even more stunning in that film and it's and it's solidified and she plays the complete opposite i was gonna say that, that movie made me like i i was like kind of enamored by her because of her looks uh in mm-hmm. laura but then i saw leave her to heaven and her acting like how much of a change yeah. that really made me respect her more as an actor um in and that the, movie what's interesting is those films are both you know different in many sense in in many sense, like one's black and white, one's in color, um, and one is is and they're just aesthetically so different. Yet they're both considered film noirs yeah. because of their their just dark tones and themes. And Lever to Heaven's dark, guys. That's one we yeah, got to talk Lever about. Heaven's amazing. That's what that's one we got to we got to talk about later. Maybe next November. <laughs> yeah, next maybe next November. Just because I I was actually thinking of that while watching this and just how different she is in this film and in that film. Um, also, but, D- but Dana Andrews yeah. is one of my favorite actors of this era. Mm. Uh, he's, he's, I mean, like I've seen him in, um, he did a movie called Night of the Demon and he's really good in that where he's like this guy, guy that like oh, is investigate yes. investigating like these like demon worshipers. Like it's like, it's really weird for the time period. Um, yeah, but he's, he's great in this movie. I like, he just has this, like, he has some of that like old school acting where it's kind of like really fast talky, but he also has this kind of like, um, wit wit to him um mm. that i don't think some of the actors of that time had so a lot of them are wooden he has this like kind of smarminess that i think works um, yeah he was in, he's in a few films from that era that i really like i think i watched fallen angel which he did the very next year also directed by otto preminger um i watched that this noir this noir member of course and then he was also in um Best Years of Our Lives, which is amazing. Oh, I have to love that movie. Yeah. Um, he's also what's that other movie? Uh, I just had it. Um, it's it's um where the, is it where the sidewalk ends? Yeah, that's is it. That that's called? it. That's another one with Gina Tierney Tierney in it too. Yeah, with Gina. Yeah, where the sidewalk ends. Yeah, with yeah, he's also a detective in that movie as well. And I'm pretty sure that movie was also directed by Otto. Yes, Pernature. it is. Yes, it yeah, was. Yep. <laughs> yes, it is. And it's also kind of a film noir esque. And these are all within like the same. Like five years. I think he did like five movies with Gina Tierney. Yes, he did a lot of movies with her. Probably right, but um, but yeah, this was the first time I had discovered these actors. This was the this was when I was getting into film noir for the first time. This is we're talking like I don't know six, seven, eight years ago, like that range. So like early twenty tens, and um, what is interesting is that. I had no idea who these actors were, and then I ended up being like, "This movie's amazing." So I've got a watch. I've, I, you know, I rewatched it at, at least three or four times now, and it just keeps staying just as good every single oh, yeah. time I see it. And of course, Vincent but, Pr- Vincent Price. 
Vincent Price is in it. Yes. And I messed up the quote last week, but we'll get to it when we get to it. Um, because it's, you know, it, it's a quote that I, I, I misremembered, misquoted it, but it still is kind of the same thing. But, um, yeah, so let's dive, we're going, for, we're going to dive into the plot, so be wary of spoilers if you haven't seen Laura yet. The movie did come out in 1944, so you've got some time to watch it. Yeah. But uh, it is available on Blu-ray and DVD, of course. Um, um, I'm sure it's pretty right easy now, to, to rent uh, if it's mm. not on like a yeah. like on like a Criterion channel. Maybe um, it's uh, like like you said, it go, it's out by 20th Century Fox. I also own the Masters of Cinema, uh, the B. Oh, yeah, they cool. have a Masters of Cinema put it out too, so I have that too. Um, both, of course, good transfers. Just. I think different some different special features. So if you're somebody that's into special features, you got two different versions there you can you can try to get. But um, all right, here we go. Let's do yeah, it. So we're gonna dive into the plot right away. Um, and yeah, so we're introduced uh, to our main character and Dana, played by Dana Andrews, is Detective Mark McPherson, and he's investigating a murder of a young woman named Laura Hunt. Who is portrayed by Jean Tierney, um, and she was killed, in quotes now, and killed in quotes by like a shotgun blast to the face. Um, to the face. That's this. So, this is why it was hard to identify. Yeah, that's why she was initially hard to identify, but they believe it's her. Well, I mean, it makes it make, it makes sense. I mean, it's her apartment. You know, yeah, like whole, who, nobody yeah, else is supposed was, to be there. Yeah, the body was discovered in her apartment, and she was wearing and, some, one of her outfits. One of her, yeah, her, she, her the body was wearing her clothes, yeah. all that kind of stuff. But his, so he's going around and he's interviewing the people around Laura's life. Yeah. And the first one we get right off the bat is quite honestly one of the best scene stealing characters I've ever seen in a movie. And it is um, newspaper columnist Waldo Lidecker, who was portrayed by um, Clifton Webb. And this guy has some of the best freaking lines I've ever seen. <laughs> he's so, he, let's just, he's so egotistical. It's mind-boggling. Yeah. I almost like I was trying to like figure out how to word his ego, and it's almost like he has a nihilistic super ego where he just doesn't care about anything at all. Like he just gives no shits whatsoever about anything except for Laura. Well, that's the one thing, and he that's cares the one about thing the he most. does care about. But you, ha- by the end of this, I mean, you gotta, you gotta think about it though. His is his because of his narcissism. Right. Is it is it that he cares about her, or that he cares about the fact that he, she is a, is is one of his successes? Like he championed her, so her success is his success. Um, right. Not only that, but I think he almost sees her as like. A possession, that, yeah, a yeah. a controlled, you know, uh, a controlled being of her creation, yeah, almost like a Doctor Frankenstein type mentality. Sure, where I, I, I created this, therefore it's because I, to be honest, I get the impression of, and, and and you get it a little bit, a little bit of subtext in that scene, uh, a little bit later where he meets uh, um, McPherson meets him in in, in the bath. Which there's a little oh, bit yeah, of that's the first that's the first uh, it's like the first, scene. the first scene of the movie yeah and so ama- there's a little bit I of a uh, homoeroticness yeah. going on here uh, well, yeah they they pointed that out in the special features yeah and it's I mean, to me it's almost like this guy doesn't like 
like he's like you know just walking on. So let, let's set the scene. For <laughs> so McPherson walks into this guy's apartment, this lavish apartment. It's got all kind of like, um, like statues and like little knickknack things and cases and basically you know like all kind of stuff, like expensive stuff. Priceless. This guy. Things. This guy's wealthy. Yes. This guy's wealthy. He's a successful newspaper columnist. He's well known. You know. Very popular. Not many know, of them. Successful. Not many of them left. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, newspapers in general. But so he and so um, McPherson's walking around. He pulls something out of one of these cases, and then off off screen we hear, you know, don't touch that. It's expensive, and it's Lidecker. But not only is it Lidecker, he is sitting in a a really like gorgeous looking bathtub in a room that doesn't quite look like a bathroom yeah. Stephen it looks like a living room with a bathtub in it and yeah. it's got, he's got all kind of like furniture around and just like the bath is huge and he's sitting in it naked of course but he's also got like a tray over him where he can do his typing and he's got like the table next to him really lavish but like I don't know about you Stephen if I'm meeting someone for the first time I typically don't meet them while I'm sitting in a bathtub. Well, that's the thing is, is you know, he, he, he knew. I don't have that type of ego. He knew he was coming. Like he knew, he, you know, so he, he he didn't give a shit. He just he he wanted oh, yeah. the, he wanted this scenario to happen. Uh, Not only that, but I just think he's like you know, there's like the, this guy. He he lives by the beat of his own drum. He only he only does what he wants, and and nothing is gonna like stop him from. His doing what he's gonna do that day, you know what I mean? Like I'm pretty sure he planned. He like this was part of his day, so he's like, hey, if somebody's gonna come and bother me during my day, they're gonna have to see me in the bathtub because yeah. that's what I'm gonna be doing, yeah. and I don't care if they like it or not. Yeah, that seems to be the that's the mentality I seem to get with him. And like you said, he 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 gets he has him hand him his robe, and <laughs> we see him get out of the bathtub off 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 screen, you know, yeah. Off screen, of course, you know, it's the 40s, can't be showing any type of nudity, I guess. And basically, they have a a back and forth type conversation where it's the usual police procedural stuff. Um, and, and like I said, right away you get that, you just understand who this, this uh, Clifton, you know, who Cl- Lidecker's character is. I was going to say Clifton Webb's character, but... but um, Waldo's character is, and he looks down. He looks down upon the McPherson character, um, and he keeps, very he, matter of factly. He, he, he's not afraid to tell people what he thinks. Yeah, I mean, there's a few times where um, McPherson calls Laura a dame, and mm. he takes he takes that as an insult, you know, and he, he oh, yeah. brings it up to him. He says, "Why do you keep calling her that? You know, she's much more sophisticated. Like she's not at some dame." You know. Yeah, I was also thinking about like when he when uh, McPherson pulls out that little baseball like ball game that he has, and like Lidecker sees is like, oh, would you uh, did you confiscate that from a kindergartner or something? Yeah, yeah, or, or from like a school child because like he looks upon him, he looks upon everyone as inferior to him. Yeah, specifically McPherson, and even more so when we get to um, Shelby. Shelby, who is uh, Vincent Price's character, which we get we get to in pr- in it's, pretty much the next. Scene. Yeah, it's the next person uh, McPherson yeah. goes to see. Yeah. yeah, McPherson now wants to go. He wants to go interview the um, Laura's aunt, and and while doing so, just so happens that uh, Shelby is there. 
who um, portrayed by Vincent Price, just so happens to be there, and and he starts questioning. He starts questioning the aunt and Shelby together, specifically because it looks like the aunt and Shelby have some type of relationship, yeah. at least definitely financially. And and what it we find like, out though is that I don't know if we mentioned this, but Shelby was supposed no. to be getting married to Laura. Yes, that was the like, that's the big the, thing like that week. Yeah, like he they week. were supposed to get married on that Friday, and Laura left like Thursday night, like and was yeah. gone. That's when that's the last time anybody saw her. And yes. then and then she that's wound the up she told dead. Anybody. Yeah, and she was dead. Yeah, and then she would then she was dead, and it's so. But but still, but just the line of questioning leads you to believe there's something more between the aunt and Shelby in general, because there's like okay, you you made it, a, you know. You made a check out to him on this day for this amount of money. And then he he just, he withdrew some money from your account here on this day and all kinds of stuff. So there's like a an interesting relationship going on there, which we do get fleshed out a little bit more later on, very directly, yes. very directly. Uh, so of course, of course, Lidecker is there as well, you know. And you can already tell that Lidecker hates Shelby. And then I think Shelby hates Lidecker as well. There's several times in this movie where they they almost like like confront each other physically. And and, and, the, and, and the the thing is, yeah. is is and this is what's kind of weird about the Lidecker character is is he points out so many times um, how you know how much she he disapproves of these other men that Laura's mm. tried to be with and yes. and specifically talks about their appearance. You know that they're more lean and younger men, though. It doesn't seem like uh, Lidecker. It is. It just. I don't. We don't know how romantically involved he feels. He really needs to be with Laura. Like you get this impression that they're like he's obsessed with her, but I don't. I don't know. It's. It doesn't seem like she's I, ever given I, I, him a reason to think that they. Yeah, I, I was going to get into that later on yeah. when we talked about the whole obsession thing. Um, but it, you, I understand what you're saying in the sense that, like, we never really get a gist is if the relationship between Lidecker and Laura is romantic or not. I mean, I think from Lidecker's perspective, he wants it to be, but I think he has an inferiority complex yeah. where he is probably insanely jealous of not only uh, Shelby, but later on McPherson. And and then there's this other like young painter um, character that we kind of never really see. We only we only see we only hear mentioned about who paints Laura that famous Laura portrait that we see in the movie. Yeah. And so he, I think he feels jealous of them, and it probably also feels that they are inferior to Laura in general. And I think he probably also feels that he's the only you know true person that uh, can you know measure up to Laura's level. Yeah. Or at least the level that he believes that she is at, because a lot of what I find amazing about this movie is it's not so much who Laura is as the as a person or character; it's who these men yeah. believe her to be. It's in their, their idea. Mind. That's it, fascinating. It, their to idea, me. mostly mostly Lidecker. It, it's about her, his yeah. idea of her, um, and everybody's almost falling in love with false images of her. Um, and spe- I mean directly, you know, McPherson of course never meets her, and you know, and falls in love uh, with just until later on in the movie. Well, yeah, but yeah. but initially he falls in love just with her picture and letters he reads. Like he's already like falling in the movie. I mean, it might not seem so so um, obvious 
the first time you watch it, but the more you watch it, the more you pick up on subtle things like that. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, so, you know, Lidecker spends this whole time just kind of like put bringing down Shelby in this conversation um, until I think McPherson kind of gets fed up with it. And he's just like, right. well, I'm going to, I'm going to leave now. <laughs> and, yeah. And so, this, so this go- great, there's great dialogue back and forth between all these characters. There's biting dialogue that just, they're going at each other um, through di- through their words and stuff. And it's really sly, really well written. And I do want to mention, this was also based on a 1943 novel uh, titled Laura by Vera Caspari. Um, so it is based on a book, as many, many movies are, as we've come to oh, learn yeah. over, over this long while. Uh, but... After this, I believe he goes to dinner with Lidecker, McPherson does. Yeah. And this is where we get the backstory of how Lidecker um, met Laura and how he kind of cultivated Laura to his own liking, um, obsessively, of course, yeah. because this man's obsessed like crazy. And we get this back this backstory of how um, Laura approached him when he was at lunch one day at the... Algonquin Hotel. I remember that. I'm glad you remember that. I... <laughs> yeah. yeah. And basically she, I think she works for like an ad company or she want, something she, like she, that. She, I think she's, she wants him. Yeah. She's probably like freelancy at first. And... I think she works for like a company like in Mad Men. It's oh, like an okay. ad company. Because she wants him to endorse this pen that I guess her company has been like hired to promote or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's he's like a obviously he's a big to do in the the publishing game or the newspaper game. So I guess an endorsement for him is basically like a a you know a sta- a golden stamp of approval. Yeah. To you know to get a, to get a product sold or to get anything done. And so she's bothering him, of course, in the middle of lunch, which. Honestly, it's probably not the best thing to do to anyone, let alone this guy who yeah. obviously likes his private time and likes to live by his own schedule. So she goes in to like to bother him, and he's he's just not having her. He's he's just like, is this the way you normally conduct your business? And she's like, no, I'm doing this by myself. Um, no, no, my bosses don't know this. You know, I haven't been asked to do this, but I'm doing it all by myself. And basically, he tells her off, but the whole time he's doing it. You see him playing around with his plate of food, and I just um, it was mentioned in the in in the special features where like he just like he's fussing around with his food, and I thought that was interesting because like it looks like he's he's like taking stuff off of whatever he's eating, whether it be yeah. a steak or whatever, and it's like this guy likes everything to be such and such a way. He's probably an obsessive compulsive person. Uh, you know, having some an, an OD, uh, oh, you know, an OCD, you know, type of uh, disorder or whatnot, and he's doing that while she's talking to him, and she and he tells her off, and then she she basically tells him off back to him, and he's probably not one who gets you know told off too many times. No. Um, but he was actually impressed by her gumption, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her uh, her, her uh, willingness to panache, her willingness to go. <laughs> to go the extra mile for for this for her job or whatnot. So he goes to visit her <laughs> he goes to visit her at the ad company, right? And when he walks in, he, he did, the way just the way he addresses people, he he looks he looks down upon them 
and just like like there's like this young boy working there, this young this young guy working there. He's like, boy, announce me. And it's like <laughs> announce me. It's like, oh, you ro- what are you royalty? <laughs> In his mind, I guess he thinks he's royalty. Like he, he needs to be announced. And then so he walks over to her, uh, the, the messenger boy, I guess, and he's like. And then she's like, please tell, you know, Mr. Lydecker that I'm busy right now, when she's clearly not busy. She just doesn't want to talk to him. And he's like, of course, you know, that's just a, you know, a sly remark against him. But he, but he's like, he's not taking, obviously not taking no for an answer, Lydecker. So he walks in, he walks in the, the bullpen there and decides that he's going, he is going to endorse this pen. And because he, because like I said, he he was impressed with her and whatnot. Um, but now, but now we get kind of a montage of just like them, um, like him, like buying her dresses and and taking her out to fancy dinners and all kinds of stuff. What is interesting is I didn't know this until I actually watched the movie. There are, there are technically two cuts of this movie. Yeah. There's a theatrical cut and there's an extended cut. And the only difference between the two is that in the extended cut, there is a montage of her being like, of Laura being, um, going like being in the lavish society of, you know, the upper crust or whatnot. And the reason why, it's only a few seconds long. It's yeah, a few yeah. second long montage. The reason why it was cut is because, you know, the movie came out during World War Two, and, and I guess the studio or producers or somebody didn't want it to look like, it didn't want her. Di- didn't want it to be. How am I going to say this, Stephen? Didn't didn't want it to look bad, and because people were you know suffering during wartime. I guess the tactfulness. Yeah, I, I guess it just didn't look. It wasn't a good image for the movie. I, I don't know if it was. Laura. It was about the movie. It was more about uh, an outside. You know, d- d- just being more. I guess aware awareness having an awareness of who the audience is. You know, like yeah. Yeah, and I yeah, I mean, just you know, the reason why I mention that is because there is a few extra scenes in this you know, in this montage of um, of this of this of her meeting him and going through all of this that adds a little extra to to kind of her shaping as a character or yeah. her, or her shaping from Lydecker's perspective, and 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 it's a it's also narrated by him as well, and we just just hear about like all the different things and all the different places and all kind of stuff. And in a way it reminded me a lot of, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's vertigo. Cause in the second half of vertigo without saying too much about that plot of that movie is Jimmy Stewart's character becomes obsessed with this woman put, um, in the, in the movie and to the point where in the second half he transforms another woman to look like the woman he is obsessed with mm-hmm. so it's this idea of control and you know cultivating an image that you that you want it's a very kind of dark and twisted you know you know mind that it takes to you know manipulate someone to your liking um, a lot of gaslighting probably going on i wouldn't wouldn't doubt that yeah but what we also learn is, of course, what we've already said is that Lydecker is insanely possessive and jealous of Laura's suitors. Um, and and what he also does is he actually uses his newspaper column to like, you know, like start like rumors and like 
you know, badmouth all of the all of the men who pursue her, and that takes a little extra planning. <laughs> that Jeez, little, yeah. and that takes a little extra manipulative stuff. He's kind of like a really messed up Batman villain, <laughs> yeah, for a good part. Um, but and there's also one there's one specific scene where he actually he's actually like stalking her. Lidecker is where he goes to her apartment as she's um as she's entertaining or being painted by the young painter that we never we never actually see we only hear about him and and he's standing out in like the snow and it's just like that extra obsessiveness to go that extra mile yeah. is really just adds an extra layer it, it, to we, the we, Lidecker character and the thing is is it the audience sees this but you know if you think about from from McPherson's point of view, he's just hearing the story being told from just one side. Oh yeah, uh, it sounds like we're cre- he's creating quite a quite a motive for himself. Yeah, but against Lidecker. Yeah, you know, we're getting this idea of you know obsession and possession and control and like so. Who would you know when you're thinking about like murder or something like that? It's like who's closest to the victim? Because those tend to be the people who. Uh, unfortunately involved the most we always hear that um is it's always like a family member or a close friend that is the one who commits the murder yeah or something and, and like the that. thing is is he almost well, he almost in a sense you know sabotages himself there because you know he, he 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 he's trying so hard to let him know that he would never hurt her because he loves her so much you know like mm, um yes. you know he, he yeah which by the end of the movie we get a literal image of his self-destruction yes we do that i'll hint that hint there yeah we'll get, foreshadowing when we get, when we get there <laughs> yeah foreshadowing um um so yeah it's so we're getting we get all of that and then we also get um we also get and then i think this is after this is where we get to um McPherson going back to the apartment. Well, he get, he has to go visit. Oh no, the, he he interviews the uh, the maid. Doesn't he inter the maid first? Yeah. Yes, the loyal maid who actually discovered the body. Yeah, yeah. So he walks into the goes to the apartment, and she she's there like trying to still work. You know, she's like, "I'm paid for the week. I'm still working." So then he talks to her there, and um, you know, kind of gets the image of what she found, and of course, it's difficult for her, um, and. He kind of played, you know, like, I think, doesn't Lidecker show up, too? And and Shelby? Yeah. Yeah, they yes. always they always know when he's they there. they always show up together. Yeah. Uh, but we also learn that, I believe this is where we learn, my, my head could be getting all, you know, mixed up here, is that there was a different, cheaper type of alcohol discovered in amongst Laura's al- um, alcohol. Uh-huh. Amongst her alcohol. And what we also learn is that the housekeeper like covered up some evidence <laughs> as well yeah. uh, where she put the alcohol away cleaned the cups and put those away as well and it's like and he's like yeah you probably shouldn't have done that because that's you you are you aware that that's tampering with a crime scene yeah um the, the, there's but, also the thing with shelby with this 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 second key yes um that apparently yeah. he kept that he had and that he said he didn't know where it was and then they went to the. Yeah, they go to the apartment and yeah, it must be in the bedroom. Yeah, so he yeah. He, he goes and and um, doesn't find it. Um, th- or is that what is that how it happened? Yeah. Well, well, they go to the yeah. They, he goes. 
Yeah, it's the second key to the, um, I believe, uh, her country home or like her cabin in the country. And he asks if, if he, if uh, like who, like who had it, and he's like, oh, I don't, I don't have it. It must be, you know, I think, it, I think it may be in the, uh, the bedroom, the bedroom drawer or something like that. And they go in there to get it, and then, and then McPherson basically catches him saying, saying, yeah, you, you, you had that this whole time, right? Yeah. He's like, yeah, but I didn't want, I didn't want Lydecker to know I had it. Yeah, yeah, he apparently got the key from the office that she works at. Yes. The, the the second key to her apartment was at her office. Um, right. So that's how he got in. Um and uh Yeah, that's how we got into that apartment. But at that other key that, that he also had was to I believe the cabin in in the country. Sure. And he didn't want Lidecker to know that he already had it. Because, you know, it obviously makes him look bad. Um at one point I can't I it may be after this. Uh, but we do get the backstory how uh, Shelby met Laura, and I also th- I think that's fascinating as well because it's they because Shelby Shelby's an interesting character because I like Vincent Vincent Price plays him with almost a a shy benevolence yeah but he's also but he's not exactly a truthful person. And he's also like he's he's in love with Laura, but he's also has this relationship with Laura's aunt, and that's how they're connected, is through her aunt. So it's I don't know I don't know if he's so much in love with Laura or he's just in love with the idea of being with someone of Laura's stature. Yeah, I mean, he. I think he's more uh, uh, in lust with her. Uh, to be honest, I think it's more that I think he, he's more in lust with her lifestyle. Well, he than he is in in love with her herself. Well, I mean, he's in lust with his aunt. The aunt's. Well, we haven't revealed that, but he's in more in lust with the aunt's lifestyle, and he j- just loves younger women. And you know, he wants a yeah. young, beautiful woman like like Laura. Um, and the aunt is an older woman, um, and that's the lifestyle. But that's what he wants. Is he's 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 high maintenance. Um, yes, yeah. I mean, I'm reading. I'm reading here where it says like he's a kept man. Yeah, and I find that be very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I almost think of I think of the relationship between the aunt and Shelby similar to the relationship between uh, in um, Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, between um, the yeah, house. William, yeah, William Holden and um, what's her name? What's that? Of course, I'm going to look that up. Uh, yeah, Gloria Swanson's yeah, character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost like I'll pay for literally everything. I'll pay. I'll pay to for keep everything you around. Just yeah. to keep you around to be a you know a companion essentially. Yeah. I mean, they do have other words for that now, but <laughs> but yeah. we won't go there, I guess. Um, but it's um, it but it's but just that relationship is very fascinating because I never felt like. What's interesting is that there's all of these men around Laura, circling Laura, connected to Laura, but I don't feel like any of them really had any romantic ties to her other than McPherson later on in the movie. Yeah. Like, they're just they're just tied to her tangentially. Yeah. They, 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 they get something yeah. out of her only for their benefit. Yes. Um, it's not it's not the, the other way around. Tip. I mean, like, obviously... Um, um, what's his name? Um, Lidecker. Lidecker 
you know, definitely pumped her career up. Um, Shelby, I don't know what the hell he did for her. I mean, he's kind of just an idiot. Um, well, not, yeah, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. That's the one. That's what I find so interesting is that like I'm trying to figure out like, I, I what does what does Laura get out of a relationship with Shelby I, other than a friend? They seem more like friends than they would do like a fiance couple. Well, the thing is, is you got to think she's she's a young woman, and and you know mm. maybe there is some truth to Lie Decker's uh, assessment of her, the other men that he that you know she sees is that she likes you know tall handsome men you know like that you know that's yeah. you know it's not it we, we we shouldn't sit here and say hey you know laura's only going after perfect intelligent people you know she's she's dating she's she's seeing right. other people so you know maybe you know she just thought he was uh charming in some weird way and yeah they, you know. they, they i'll say this though they do have a great like when we when we well, i guess we're just he, 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 he pursued her yeah. Yeah, let's talk about the flashback. Yeah, yeah. like she, um, he was at one of her aunt's parties. Yeah, and he per, and Shelby. We talk about Shelby, and he per, and he pursued her in a flirtatious, playful, you know, nice manner, if you will. And they had a really good back and forth, yeah. really good, you know, conversation, tete a tete. Um, and it was it was just really you know good. Like they got they got along well together. And then we find out that Shelby's kind of, he's kind of independently wealthy a little bit, but he's kind of, I think he's like a trust fund kid or something yeah, like that. Yeah. But I, th- I think maybe what, what maybe interests her maybe somewhat is that, you know, he's more, you know, his interest, it seems like Shelby is very interested in her. You know, when in his, her other relationship with Lidecker is all kind of like one-sided on the other way. Where she's like always inter, you know, doing what Lidecker wants to do, you know, even when it comes to getting things for her. Yeah, literally in that party scene, in that in that party it, where he meets, yeah. where she meets Shelby. The interact Lidecker's there as well, and he walks in. <laughs> he walks in. We'll talk about lines. He's like. He walks in, basically says, "Hey, I'm ready to go. These people bore me." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, one of, one of the like, bitchiest lines. It's just such a yeah. bitch, you know." Like one as an antisocial person myself who hates being around people, I kind of get it. But the other one, it's like, damn, that's it's really not coming from an introvert place. It's coming from a bitch place. Yeah, it's not coming from like yeah. I'm having social anxiety. I can't be around people. I'm nervous. I'm having a panic attack. He's like, "No, these people are idiots. Get me out yeah, of here." Yeah. <laughs> so she just she just gives into it because you know. Well, it just seems yeah. like she's there to. She almost placates Lidecker. Yeah. Like she just goes along with him and stuff. Because I had this idea in my head when I was thinking about the movie the other night. Is like, does she does she pity him more than like more than any other feeling? Pity him in the sense like she feels, you know, bad for him because we never see Lidecker with anyone else no. but her. He obviously probably alienates everyone he's around because he's such and, and a... And she probably feels obligated to hang around because he's so good to her. Yeah, because he's, you know, he, he's probably, he's paid for all of these things. He's yeah. gotten her 
you know, all kind. He, he's in, probably uh, helped her career and all this kind of stuff. So she probably feels personally indebted to him. Yeah. So that's why she placates him in anything he does, whether it's you know we're gonna go, we're gonna go, we will go to dinner at such and such a time, or we're gonna go to this place, and he she'll always go with him. And it's when she stops going with him, or goes with other people, that's when he, that's when he. Like does it gets really insanely jealous? Yeah. Like there's like like she won't show up for dinner one time, and then he'll go and f- find her wherever she is or something like that, yeah. and start stalking her. And like in, I said in earlier. the particular before her disappearance, it was she missed a day. She missed a date, and then she missed a second date, and then that's right. when she went missing, um, or she got killed. She got found. Um, right. So well, yeah, what's most important about Shelby and Laura's? relationship or their whole story plot line together is Shelby starts working at the ad agency with Laura and yeah she gives him a job yeah yeah she gives him a job and that's where he is introduced to Diane Redfern yet again a character we never see in the movie we only see her talked about yeah and she's just a stand like a model for like some of the ads but but here's the kicker she physically resembles Laura Yes. Because we see a picture of her. Yeah. And she looks like Laura. She has the same body type like Laura. Yeah. That's important. Very important, um, yeah. Comes back important. later. Kind of the key to this whole thing. Um, but anywho, let's get back to McPherson and his and his pining. So McPherson, um, one, uh, I've never seen some a detective spend so much time in a crime scene before. Uh, yeah. And, and not actually be doing anything other than reading reading letters and drinking their alcohol. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know you could just stay at the crime scene and live yeah, there. It's like I mean the the apartment's nice though, so I don't blame him. But the whole movie, he is stern-faced um you know, detective man and he's, you know, the way he's talking with everyone, the way he's dealing with everyone is very typical detective stern person. No cracks in his facade. So he's he's once again he's reading Laura's letters like obsessively reading her letters in her apartment, drinking her alcohol right next to her portrait, and and let's just say this guy is kind of obsessed with her. And Lidecker even calls him out on it because once again, Lidecker just happens to be in that area. Yeah. Um, also, at one point, Lidecker demands that he wants some of his things returned to him. Yeah. His vase, uh, the clock, which is important, and something else that I can't remember. But those two things. Uh, but the clock is the most important part of that. All, of all that. Yeah. Um. And he wants all those things returned to him. And he, at one point, he even tries to like take the vase with him. Yeah. McPherson and, and shuts like, him it's down. Part of the crime scene. He's yeah, like, nothing's leaving. Yeah. yeah, it's part of the crime scene. Yeah. Um. So anywho, McPherson um passes out after drinking and obsessing himself over Laura, and then he wakes up, and who happens to walk in the door? Laura herself. Yes. The twist. And the first time I- the twist, and here's the big twist. Um, the first time I watched this movie, I had no idea that was going to happen. Because no. <laughs> when you read the synopsis, it's just, it's just like you know that he becomes obsessed with her. And even Lidecker, like I said, says, like, uh, you know, I've never, I think he said, like, I've never heard of a detective, like, falling in love with a ghost before or something yeah. like that. Um, and it's so Laura walks in and she's like, Who are you? What are you doing here? Obviously. She doesn't know what the heck's going on, uh, and he's dumbfounded because he's like, "Am I dreaming? Am I seeing a ghost? What's going on here?" Um, and 
basically she's like, I'm gonna call the police if you don't leave. And he's like, You're you're Laura Hunt. And he's like, she's like, Okay, I'm going to call the police. He's like, No, I am the police. You know, you know, you're supposed to be. And then he explains to her, You're supposed to be dead. There was a body found here. But you know, did you didn't you read any of the newspapers? Didn't you hear it on the radio? And she's like, No, I didn't get any newspapers where I was, and the radio wasn't working. Um. And yeah, she so, she goes on to explain that she went on a retreat to this country home. Yeah, and she left her country home, and she called someone before she left. I, I think I she called I think she called Lidecker or Shelby somebody before she left uh, that she was leaving. Um, maybe I got that wrong, but anywho, she explained that she yeah she she left and went to her country home. Because she had to think, basically, she had to get away. And well, she, think I, I think over. he told Shelby because Shelby. That's why Shelby knew the apartment was going to be empty. Yes. So that yes. so that he could go in with the uh, model. Yes. <laughs> and so we yeah, what happened? But this is one of my favorite favorite little touches of this movie is in this scene is where um, McPherson asks her, you know, what did you decide regarding marrying Shelby? And she's and she decided that she's not going to marry Shelby. And look, whenever you're watching this movie, look yeah. at that man's face. He smiles for a split second, yeah. and his shoulders relax. And it's the first time the whole movie where that facade breaks because he is in love with Laura. Grant, he doesn't even know anything about her other than what he's read in letters and all that kind of stuff. But he's so happy and giddy that she's not marrying Shelby yeah. that he smiles briefly. And, 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 you know, I think the first time I saw this movie, I had a hard time, you know, because in, in a lot of movies of this era, um, you kind of almost have to, like, have a, a suspension of disbelief when it comes to people falling in love. It's like... People falling in love and such for, with barely knowing each other all the time, and um, and that kind of feels like that happens in this movie with with McPherson. But if you think about it, he spent a lot of time getting into her inner thoughts, you know, mm-hmm. reading her diary, reading some of her most personal thoughts. Yeah, her most personal letters. And and of course, he knows what she looks like. You know, she's a beautiful yeah. woman. Um, and on top of his image of her, and just reading about her thoughts through her, her through her own words. He fell in love with her, you know. Well, no, well, I kind of liken it, uh, you know, from a contemporary comparison. It's kind of like how I mean, this is dark as hell. People do that a lot, um, especially in the internet world now, where in social media world, where everyone's, you know, you know, perception of themselves is put out there. You get a lot of people who obsess over like celebrities and you know perhaps not celebrities and just that mentality of obsession i think is more commonplace now than it would be back in the 1940s um because there's just so much personal exposure to people now than ever before through the internet and stuff and of course it leads to a lot of terrible negative things where you get you, you always hear about stalkers and harassment and all of these terrible things but it's similar but I think the two things are similar where you in your mind you obsess over something or someone so much that you end up you know becoming attached to it romantically you know or non-romantically whatever and that just seems to happen a lot more nowadays because of the world we live in I just thought that was an interesting connection yeah 
Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, but so he he tell what one he obviously we know now that he's happy that she's perhaps available. I don't know. <laughs> he's kind of a selfish guy. There's no real good people in this movie other than perhaps Laura herself. Um, but he basically tells her, okay, don't tell anybody you're here. Don't phone anybody. Don't let anybody in. Um, none of that because you know we we want you know. Because he has more investigating to do. Basically. Yeah. Well, but before we move past that, what's really interesting about you know you say the only good person in this movie is the is is Laura herself is you know we talked about at the beginning how how different this was from typical noir. Um, it, you know, like a lot of times, one of the tra- traits of noir is is the femme fatale, um, yes. where a woman <clears throat> leads the man down this dark pathway to his ultimate demise. And in a sense, you could say that she has, but not in not in a uh, not in a you know dark, not in a cynical way. Not I mean, it wasn't her fault that these men became obsessed. You know, it's their perception well, of her that is caused their doom. Yeah, um, that's exactly my thoughts as well. Is that it's they they make her the femme fatale in their own minds, yeah. because of their perception of her. Which is not, which is kind of, which is not the reality of her, yeah. as we come to know in the second half of the movie, where she is not, she's not, you know, like, she's not the person that people think she is, or the pe- or the person that people have made her up in their minds to be, and it, that's the, I find that fascinating that all of the men in this movie are kind of the architectures of their own demise yeah. because they create their own personal femme fatale within the Laura character. And also it's a weird, it's not a love like square or anything like that, but it's a weird relationship between Lidecker, McPherson, Shelby and Laura, because all of the men I feel are completely different. Yeah. They're all from different spectrums of, I guess you could say, personalities and characteristics and stuff. You know, you have Lidecker, who's like this upper crust, you know, you know, wealthy, you know, well-to-do society guy. You have McPherson, who's probably at the other end of the spectrum, who we learn is like this hardened detective who got in shootouts with, uh, you know, gangsters and stuff like that. And then you have Shelby, who's kind of in the middle somewhere, I think. Yeah. Uh, because he's not quite wealthy, he's not quite poor, but he's not quite truly like infatuated with Laura. Um, he's more infatuated with these, you know, where Laura can, you know, help with his stature in society and yeah. the comfort of his own, of his own well-being and whatnot. Um, but he's also like friends with her and loyal to her as well. It's it's very interesting the dynamic of all of these people around, and you have Laura kind of stuck in the middle of everything. Um, but, but back to the plot, basically he tells her not to call anybody, don't say anything. And then he goes downstairs to the guy who's like watching the place or, uh, or, or, or is monitoring the phone, the phones and whatnot. And of course she makes a phone call, not two minutes after he leaves Yeah. and she calls Shelby to, and Shelby says, don't, um, don't, don't say anything. I'll meet you outside of your apartment and, you know, right away. And what happens is he does, they talk in the car and we see that um, McPherson, uh, you know, kind of spies on them. And then he tails Shelby to, I believe, the cabin that she was staying at, 
which I guess is not that far away, although she says she had to take a train to get there. So <laughs> I thought that was kind of odd that it was both hey. within driving distance and you had to take a train to get yeah. to it. But all right, whatever. That's neither here nor there. So he get, he gets there and he catches them taking a gun off the off the the um the mantle the fireplace mantle, and he's like, uh, so what are you doing? You uh you putting it there? You taking it taking it down? <laughs> and then Shelby's like, you saw me walk in here. You know very well I didn't have it. So they have a, a back and forth, and this is where we get where Shelby says that about his relationship with Diane Redfern and how Diane Redfern was like madly in love with him and was like obsessive about him. Whether that's true or not. I mean, who really knows? Yeah. So, and that's where you get what you said before is that, you know, you know, that uh, he knew the apartment was going to be empty. So he invited Diane Redfern over. And this is where we get the reveal that it was actually Diane Redfern that got shot and not Laura. And he was actually in the apartment. And apparently, like, Diane was also wearing her clothes as well. I found that to be kind of odd. Well, I yeah. I mean, feeling, you talked about how yeah. they, they looked similar. So it's like, you know... But the fact that she was wearing her, like, Laura's clothes, I thought was was a little odd to me. But I also think that Shelby was probably having a relationship with Diane Redfern, that, and, and it wasn't what he was saying. Yeah. Um. Yeah, someone said it in, in the special features where I think, like, he was kind of lying about that. And I'm like... <laughs> where he, he said that he was going over there, he invited her over to, like, tell, to, like, try to convince her not to be obsessed with him or some nonsense like that. And I'm like, no, probably, probably not. Yeah, I, I he feel was just I, taking advantage of the situation. Yeah, I think honestly, I feel like by the end of this movie, though we don't see it, he should have been arrested too. <laughs> At least for accessory. I mean, goddamn, he let he, he he some woman died and he didn't. He kind of covered it up for a while. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't call the police. Yeah. He didn't call an ambulance. He didn't. All he did, he all he said he did was heard the gunshot from the other room, came in, saw the body there, and was. And then, like, like check to see if her heart was still beating or something to see if she was still alive. And then, and McPherson asked him, like, why didn't you call anybody? He's like, oh, I was, like, too scared, too nervous, too, like, yeah. frozen in fear or some, something like that. Yeah. And it's like, I guess. It's a little weak. <laughs> I don't think it'll hold up in court, but yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> unfortunately, okay. he's not the main part of the story, so. But unfortunately, but he technically didn't commit the murder, even though he was there when it happened. So, right now... Uh, so the next day, McPherson um, goes over to Laura's apartment, and he's going to, like, make her breakfast. Yet again, just kind of inviting himself over and literally putting himself into her life without her really wanting him to be there or asking him to be there. Yet again, these men seem to encroach themselves on Laura's life, yeah. even though she doesn't ask for it or want it. And I just find that to be very interesting. Um, so... He go he goes there and he's gonna make her breakfast and then she says you know I'll do it. and then the maid walks in or and sees that Laura's still alive and she almost passes out yeah that, that poor lady and then Laura like puts her to work she's like oh why don't you make us some like you know bacon and eggs and it's like this lady's like shaking in fear <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about yeah, nothing about maybe, maybe yeah, give her the day off better to, to do some work <laughs> to forget about your problems I guess. Uh, maybe maybe give her some give her a day off or something, um, but anyhow. So, but then um, but then he invites uh, but then, um. McPherson invites Waldo over Lidecker, because he wants he, he wants to see what his reaction is going to be. Yeah, and of course he walks in, and he sees Laura and he passes out, 
Now, initially, when you're watching the movie, I thought, hey, he passed out because, hey, he thought she was dead. But we learned that's probably not true. That's well, not why I mean, he passed I mean, out. Why not? I mean, well, it is true and it's not true, but for different reasons. Well, yeah, I mean, he he thought he knew he killed somebody. He assumed he killed Laura. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. The, the big reveal here is that he's the yeah, one. Yeah, sorry. Who actually, I mean, yeah. I mean, you, yeah. He's the, the one who sh- who who <laughs> you know killed Diane Redford, thinking it was Laura. But when you're watching this movie for the first time and you don't know that, you're thinking that he's passing out. That he's passing out because he thought Laura was dead and now she's alive. Now, but if you've rewatched the movie, now you know he passes out because he thought he killed Laura and she's not yeah. dead. So now he's in some deep. Right, who the fuck did I kill? <laughs> yeah, what happened? <laughs> where, where, where was? and who are you and it's like it's so he passes out they wake him up they give him some pills i don't know where those what those pills were um and basically and then i think shelby comes over as well because he's always around i guess um and then lidecker wakes up walks in th- walks from the the bedroom over and he's like so you're gonna like arrest him now you look good in bracelets <laughs> he's always going at shelby like really and, digging yeah into and him. this is when we get the whole scene with the ant too where the ant basically straight up says just give me oh, Shelby. yeah the part yeah, yeah i was getting to that yeah. where basically lidecker says like hey we're gonna throw this party because it's your welcome home party you're back and and so everybody comes over but but what i also want to mention there's a lot of animosity now between there's more animosity now between mcpherson lidecker and shelby than i think there ever was before because now McPherson has kind of thrown his hat into the ring as a possible. He's got a more personal stake in it now. Yeah, he's he, this, this, first of all, as an objective detective, this man's beyond compromised at this point. Yeah, he's he's completely compromised. Well, this is this is what makes this a film noir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. great characters, great characters doing amoral things. Yeah. So so they throw this this big lavish party, and Laura's like, I think she's getting ready, or she's in the you know, doing something, and then, first of all, this aunt is cold. She doesn't talk much in this movie, but this is a cold-blooded aunt. Yeah. Um, and she, and I should probably get her name because we're just calling her the aunt. She's aunt, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Anne Treadwell. So aunt, yeah, so Auntie Anne, I guess. And basically, she decides that that she is going to she decides that she that, yeah that she's she tells um her that she's not the right person for Shelby because what we also learn is that Shelby and I guess her made up and that she is going to uh now marry Shelby yeah so Shel- so and and of course uh McPherson's not happy about that so he decides that he is going to, so so she tells him that you know Shelby and I are the same type of wrong person so that's why we're made for one another yeah. you and him are not the right for one another and she basically says that that if you weren't like I she basically tells her if you you know I like. It wouldn't be surprised if if they told me I was the one that killed you. Essentially, mm, and it's yeah. like wow, <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, she Not she talks about how Shelby has the ability to kill somebody, but she knew it wasn't him. Right. 
but that he has the capability and and she knows that they're the same because she's also capable of doing it. Yeah, she basically said she wanted to kill Laura so that she and Shelby could be together. Yeah. Which is pretty dark for an aunt to tell a niece. Yeah. Or for really anyone to tell anyone. Yeah. It seems pretty messed up. So so bas- so McPherson gets a phone call at this party and he's like, "Yeah, I'm just about to make my arrest now." And he arrests Laura yeah. of all people. And he takes her in. It's a good. For, it's a good strategy, but it's almost like he just wanted to get him, get her out of there for himself. Not only get her out of there, but he wanted, yeah, he wanted to get her alone with himself. Yeah, <laughs> for himself, which is pretty obvious when you get to the um, interrogation scene. And I use that term loosely because it's kind of a fake interrogation. He even admits, like, yeah, I didn't even like book you when you came in. Did you not notice that? And now, th- like, th- this is the scene where you get that smirk. That you mentioned earlier. You get the second one. Yeah, there was a what? There was a little one in that other scene where he says that she wasn't gonna. Ma- where she says she wasn't gonna marry Shelby, and then there's a bigger one. Okay. Where his, where I didn't see this first one. I I noticed the second one. Yeah, I noticed them both. Where his shoulders literally relax, and he's like, "Oh, good." Where he asks her, "Do you love Shelby?" And she says, "No." And he goes, and he's like. He's like, oh, good. And he's like, his shoulders slump down, and he's like, and he smiles. And it's like, yeah, this guy's so, so, like, invested in this personally that he, he couldn't, he he's can't, he probably should have been taken off this case, essentially. Well, there's obviously <laughs> no superiors. He's, he's yeah. the, he, I guess he's the It's him guy. and this he's guy the, that helps guy. him watch the place that's the only people I see. <laughs> yeah, there's nobody, I guess he's the, the end-all, be-all of this case. Um, so he, so he's, so, yeah, he knows that she's not the one who did it, but she, he, all the questions she asks, he asks her are all, like, personal, like, questions between her relationships with, with, like, Lidecker and Shelby, and they're not really pertaining to the actual murder itself. Well, other than the question where, like, where, like, why did, um, you know, you know, your radio, the radio was fixed. Why didn't you like? Why did you tell me it wasn't fixed or something like that? And he's like, and she's like, well, I told I, I told the the like the local handyman to to fix it before I left, and I left a key under the rock, under like a, uh, under a rock outside or something like that. And it's like, okay, and he's like, yeah, you wouldn't make up that, you wouldn't make up a lie. That could be so easily checked. Yeah, they, he he gave her asked her questions about like the and like why she didn't um they couldn't find her when they went to her country place because you know and then she says oh I went for a long walk um you know and there's no you know f- there's no phone where I'm in my you know so she basically had a, an alibi for everything of why yes. they couldn't find her. Um, initially. Yeah, she had answers, but we, we know, I mean, we, at this point, we don't know, but, um, she, uh, yeah, she, we, she's not the, she's not the killer. Yeah. She, yeah, she's not the killer, and he knows that she's not the killer. He, like we said, he wanted her basically all to himself. And so, and after this, I believe she goes back. Well, they, they go back to the apartment. Yes. And this is where he he wants to check on. Well, they go to Lidecker's first. That's what they do. They go sneak into Lidecker's place, don't they? Because they want to check well, out. He does. Yeah, he yeah, does. He does. Yeah. He lets her go, 
and he goes over to Lidecker's place, and that's where he looks at the he looks at the at the clock yeah. that's there. That's the identical one that Laura has. Yeah. And he's trying to open it up and can't open it up. So he like kicks it open. He notices that there's like this hidden compartment in it. And he's like, okay, if there's a hidden compartment in this one, there's got to be a hidden compartment in the other one. Yeah. So then he goes to Laura's apartment. Yeah. And and th- and that's where um, I believe. Well, they find the gun. Light- they find the shotgun. Well, not only that, but McPherson returns to Laura's apartment and Lidecker is there and it, it, he he's all he's he's there and basically he he also comments again about the closeness between McPherson and Laura yeah. as well and he also what is interesting is i think Laura and him have are having a conversation and she tells him i think that she actually like is falling for McPherson or something like that and he's trying to convince her out of it um Lidecker is yeah and and that's when McPherson shows up in the middle of kind of that, that thing that's going on. And But but Lidecker leaves because he says he's going to be doing a radio broadcast about about some story about like two lovers in love or something like that. And when he leaves, that's when McPherson checks the clock and he's like, there's got to be a combination or a way to open this. He opens it up and inside there is a shotgun. And this is the shotgun that killed... Diane Redford, and he checks it, and of course there's there's two empty shells in it, so they used both barrels, and he's like playing out the scene where okay, you know he must have heard Shelby in the other room, so he went out in the hallway, he hid out in the hallway, and then after Shelby left, he came back in and left and put the gun in this clock, and he know and he he believes it to be Lidecker. Yeah, so he and he puts it back, yeah, and so he puts it back. And he goes downstairs, and he, no, but one as he's leaving, they like kiss for the first time. Interesting yeah, time he tells that. her he tells her to stay in the apartment, don't let anybody in. Yeah, lock all the doors. Yeah, don't let anyone in. And goes downstairs to the guy who I guess has the worst job <laughs> the, in the world, the, the second cop in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I guess he just this dude's just hanging he's out. Cop down, number two, just hanging out. Um, just just hanging out. Well, down he's there, he's, right? he's keeping watch on the crime scene, you know. I guess, but it's like the woman's alive. I guess, whatever. Anywho, he's just there, and he's like, and I believe McPherson asks him, you know, did you see Lidecker come? And he's like, no, I haven't seen him at all. And then, and he's like, he left five minutes ago. He should have been, should have been gone by now. So, so that's when McPherson's like, oh, he probably never left. And what we learn is that he was like hit. There's another entrance into the apartment that looks like it looks like a a bathroom that connects to the hallway. Which there's like a si- yeah, there's like the a apartment. side entrance or something. Yeah, there's like a, a second entrance which I guess wasn't locked. I don't know. Um, and he, so he walks in with that, takes the gun out of the clock, puts in new bullets, and then at the same time, Laura's listening to the radio broadcast, which is him, which is a pre-recorded one, which is a pre-recorded. Uh, yeah, uh, he tried to give he tried to give himself an alibi. Tried yeah. to give himself an alibi by saying, "Hey, I'm on here." on this on this radio thing but really it's pre-recorded so he he you know she would she won't nobody would suspect him nobody would suspect so so he he's like he he walks in and he's you know he comes behind her and of course he's got to say something because it's a movie <laughs> and they struggle and then a and then a shock a shock um 
a shot rings out. But meanwhile, of course, the police have already like come up the stairs. They're trying to get in. Um, McPherson goes in the other door that Lydecker went into. They comes in the apartment. Laura's running towards McPherson, and Lydecker's running towards her. And basically, they, sh- they I think one of the other deta- other yeah, cops one of the shoots other police, him. Yeah, shoots him, and then he left. He get he gets off one final shot, and that final shot. Go doesn't hit anyone, but it does hit the clock. Yeah. Someone's time has run out. Yeah, someone's time has <laughs> run out. The foreshadowing there. Um, that Stephen mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, very very dramatic ending. Is it? It's it's very very, very well put tense. together. Very well edited. Um, you know the you know from the point of when he's about to shoot her initially, and she like hits his gun up into the air. And then they, the cops run in. They can't get through the door. Uh, McPherson knocks down the door, um, and then comes in and just very quickly edited, you know, in a tasteful way, you know, bam, yes. bam, and then you know, uh, bam, bam, and then uh, what? But of course, like I believe what he said when he initially went, you know, to shoot her is like, you know, if I can't have you, no one will. Yeah. That that that, that line or that that idea that's been used in countless movies ever since. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, the, the whole clock getting shot thing, uh, director Carl, Carl Franklin said it in the special feature that's coincidentally titled obsession is that it's, it's, it's also a symbol of his self-destruction Yeah, because of his control of Laura. And these, and he basically, his idea was that, you know, since he has that clock and he gave her that clock, that it's a symbol of, of him having like almost like a, a you know a physical representation of his control over her because they have they have that thing connecting them yeah. and then one and now that thing is actually severed because you know of his self destruction and and then that, in the final scene the final shot of the movie I believe is that clock destroyed yeah and that's how the movie ends yeah his last um, uh, Lidecker's last words is like I think it's like I love you Laura yeah it's like goodbye Laura goodbye my love yeah yeah. And uh, he dies, and that's it. Yeah, you know, the last shots on the clock. And that's the end. That's yeah. the end of Laura. That's Laura. That's Otto Preminger's Laura, nineteen forty-four. And yeah, that's my favorite film noir of all Top time. shelf, top shelf, <laughs> top shelf. Um, where you know it's it's it typically on the top of many people's favorite film noirs or top 10 film noir lists of all time. I mean, I put it up there with, like, Out of the Past and In a Lonely Place, which is other two films that we've talked about at some point in our in, in during our podcast. Yep. Um, and, you know, there's, you know, there are other, you know, really famous film noirs like um, Sun- Big Heat. Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. Sunset Boulevard, I consider a film noir. The Maltese Falcon, Double Indemnity. I mean, the list of classic film noirs go on and on. Um, and we've, you know, even Gilda is a film noir, which we also went over. We went over a lot of film noirs throughout this. Yeah, we also, um, of course, talked about Night of the Hunter, which is kind of yeah, yeah. which is also a film noir. Yeah, <laughs> we 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 yeah. have a we we, we, we covered them. Yeah, yeah, we've really uh, we've we have a we've leaned we've leaned heavy to film noir. Yeah, we, we might be a little biased, um, but yeah, we I mean, this is just a definitely one of my biased. top ones. Um, yeah, I always I I group it. It's at the top. And then I think it's like out of the past in a lonely place, um, is up there. Like I said, and of course there's there's some neo noirs that are really high yeah. up there too. Of course we talked about L.A. Confidential, um, which we did last time. Yeah. Yes, we did, and um, you know stuff like Chinatown, 
Um, I would even say as recent as something like, uh, you know, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is is mm, very good. That's a great noir. That's yeah. a great neo noir. Um, um, even The Nice I, Guys is really good by Shane Black. Also, yeah. I w- I, kinda, but I, I, I think yeah, it's I, a detective story. You can kind of. But but Kiss 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 Bang Bang is very much, you know, going for yeah. that noir yeah, it does it purposely du- double stories that are intertwined you know kind of thing yeah like like um like red herrings there's narration yeah. there's, a, there's murder it almost there's... is kind of self-aware of its film noir aspect in that movie um but yeah i mean it, it's it is our favorite genre both of our favorite genres and uh it, when it gets around to this time of the year it's always fun to be able to zero in on film noir um so yeah and so that brings us to uh, what we're going to do next week. Now, before we, we get into this, I'm sure Andrew's sort of brainstorming here because uh, he never really gets pre- prepared oh, for this. Yeah, and um, that is very true. That I am going to preface that uh, this next episode in two weeks will probably be our last of the year. Um, it is the holidays, and also I am in the midst of moving so so that I can have time to set up my new setup at the new place um, we probably won't have a new episode until beginning of next year sometime. Um, so, I mean, um, I'm sorry, after the next episode, we will have one more right, episode. Right, right. Two weeks from now will be our last episode of the year. And then we won't have another episode maybe for a month, um, so that I can get myself situated. So yeah, with, moving in, moving stuff. Yeah. Kind of stuff. Yeah. So without further ado, I don't know if Andrew's ready, man. I am, I, I'll be honest. I'm not quite ready, but I've got things are cooking. Um, so usually we would do maybe a holiday movie. Um, it's not necessarily you – know, we don't have to, but it's really up to Andrew. It's his turn. So <clears throat> does he have I'm, something? I kind of do. <laughs> I kind of want to talk – I know. It, it, like I've got, I've got the the Hollywood movie – the Hollywood – the holiday movie – that I want to talk about, but we, but it gets talked about incessantly. I'm gonna so guess I, it's it's a wonderful life. I, that's the one I want to do. We we, we did it. We, the thing is, is we did a shop around it. the corner, yeah. around the corner last year, with, which is also Jimmy Stewart. So we might want to go somewhere else. Um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of. We could do Elf. <laughs> I was actually looking at Elf. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, John Favreau, man. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's people like that movie. Yeah, you want you want to do Elf? We can if you want. Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? We'll do, we'll yeah, do we've been Elf. doing some older Excuse movies, me. you know. Yeah, just an excuse to, excuse to rewatch Elf. There we go. Yeah, it's oh, something okay. I have to watch every year anyway. So yeah, Will, and, yeah, it's Will Ferrell kind of in his prime before he just kept doing the same old stuff over. Well, and over. yeah, yeah, and this is John Favreau near the beginning. Um, I think he yeah, did. It gives, it gives us a chance to talk about Favreau's earlier work, I would say. Uh, like Z- Zathura? He talks about his movie Made. His movie Made is a really great film. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, Zith- it's Zith- only available on DVD. Yeah, Zathura, I think, was one of his first movies also. Then he did Cowboys and Aliens, which is, wasn't great. Yeah, it's like one of the few times Harrison Ford showed up to Comic-Con that yeah, wasn't Star Wars. Yeah, um, Chef is great. Chef is um, maybe his best. Um, me, um, and of course he's done yeah. two Iron Man movies, and yeah, of course, you know, of course he's the went on to do Wolf, these the Lion, Lion King, King and, and he, these remakes I mean, of these. Ur- ugh. Yeah, he, I, yeah, 
I really like his early stuff. Made is a movie that no one talks about because everyone thinks that he directed the movie Swingers and he didn't. No, no, he he acted Nobody in that movie. Nobody knows that. Yeah. Yeah, he was just in that movie, but he's just so famous for being in it. People think he directed. That was a Doug Liman movie. Yeah, Doug yeah, Lyman yeah. Doug yeah. that movie. He wrote that movie, but he wasn't in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about let's talk about Elf. Why not? Yeah. Something lighter to end the. You were year, trying to get all crazy with it, and then we're uh, trying to go all just, meta. Like, yeah, let's yeah. do Fargo. Let's do uh, the Hateful Eight. <laughs> you were trying to dark. be. You were trying to be clever. Well, you know what? You should have been prepared if you wanted to be clever. Oh, so see, damn see, true. see what happens. So damn see what, true. Now we have to fall back on mainstream entertainment. Yeah, all the yeah, all this is gonna get cut anyways. We can, <laughs> I, guess, I guess. We'll see. We'll see. We'll all see right. when the final product comes. Well, that's <laughs> it for this episode. Uh, where can we find you, Andrew? You can find me on Twitter at Kevzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Kevzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings. You can find me on Instagram at Cinema Discovery Project or on Letterboxd at Cinema Discovery. Uh, you can find the auto f- audio for this podcast on Podbean and Apple Podcasts. Thank you once again for listening, and hey, keep on watching them movies. I know I will. 